Hello, everyone. This is Barbara Littles, and welcome to the High Capacity Podcast, where I'm your high capacity architect, and I'm helping women to structure, build, and lead high capacity organizations. I am so excited today because I have a woman that I'm going to introduce you to that is absolutely fabulous. Her name is Dr. Michaela Brown, and she's a fashion anthropologist. She received her PhD in anthropology and education from Columbia University. She's, I think she's a New Yorker. You know, I'm originally from New York. She began her fashion career as a production assistant, working for such esteemed designers as Oscar de la Renta, Zach Polson, and Betsy Johnson before running for her own socially conscious fashion line for four years. More recently, she integrated her anthropological background and fashion experience to create a cultural shopping tour company called Sidewalk Safaris. And she's done so much more. She currently also is a professor who teaches fashion management and diversity and inclusion courses for both Cornell University and the city of New York. And so right after this introduction, the next voice that you are going to hear is Dr. Michaela Brown. I want you to welcome her as she is a high capacity woman. She leads, she's powerful. She's strong, unforgettable. She knows what she's about and she's building from the inside out. And she's a high capacity woman. Welcome to the High Capacity Woman Show with your host, Barbara M. Littles. Dr. Brown, welcome. Thank you, Barbara, for having me. I'm so grateful to be here. It's awesome to be part of your work. Well, I just want the ladies to know that I met Michaela at eCornell when I was doing the diversity and inclusion certification. And I knew initially there was something very special about you from the time I met you. And then I heard that you, are you from New York? No, I'm actually Jamaican and I grew up in South Florida, but I have lived in New York for almost 15 years now. So I feel like a New Yorker. Yeah, I know. But you embody all of that. And that I think is why, you know, you have this spirit that just illuminates. Thank you. I'm so happy to have you here today because we're going to talk business. We're going to talk career. We're going to talk about being a woman in this environment and our work. And ladies, I just want you to get your coffee, your latte and your tea, whatever it is that your favorite drink is. And I want you to sit back because we are going to enjoy Michaela. We're going to sit here and talk as girlfriends today because we're going to find out who she is, why she is, what she does. And we're going to find out about the fingerprint that she has and is making on the world. So Michaela, tell us who you are. Who am I? So I think what's so important about how I identify is that my work plays so much into who I am. It's such an expression of who I am. I'm someone who's incredibly passionate about marginalized communities, underrepresented communities. As a Black woman, I feel very connected to exposure, getting attention onto the work that so many underrepresented artists are. You know, they need to, they need this exposure. And for me, because I'm so passionate about minority cultures, it was like, how do I tell their story in a way that it can be received and connected to more easily? And so my other passion is fashion. And I always say one of the greatest ways to talk to a woman and get her to listen is to start with clothing. 
So just putting those two passions together, which are so intrinsically me, I've been able to craft a career over the last 10 years that are all about the intersections of fashion and race and kind of expression and politics and representation. And it's been a crazy journey. I've had so many different business iterations throughout that journey, but it's been worth that worth it because as I've evolved as a person, I've evolved as an entrepreneur. I love it. I love it. Tell people what anthropology is and how that plays, because you have a PhD in anthropology. (laughs) Okay. Yes. And a lot of people are saying anthropology, fashion, how how does those two connect? But you have connected them very well. And I love the fact that you talk about evolution. Yeah. We're going to talk about the evolution of entrepreneurship as an entrepreneur and as a person, because I believe that both of those things happen in the journey of our, where we are as business people. So tell yeah. us about anthropology and fashion. How did you get sure. interested in either? So I think being born in Jamaica, but growing up here and very much identifying with my immigrant experience, I've always been very acutely aware of my culture and the role that it plays in, in who I am as a person. And so anthropology is a study of cultures. How do your family origins, the country you come from, the food you eat, the language you speak, the politics of your household, how do they play in into who you are? And in many ways, I see fashion and culture as likely bedfellows or as closely tied as peanut butter and jelly. Because the clothing that we wear says so much about who we are. It says what we like about our body, what we don't like about our body, how healthy we are feeling at the time. Are we conservative? Are we liberal? You know, even our skin tone, like when I teach fashion classes, I talk about if you notice darker skinned women wear brighter colors because those colors pop. There's so much a part of, to me, fashion is a way of communicating who you are without opening your mouth. And I think all of us are intrinsically fashion anthropologists because when we meet people, Consciously or unconsciously, we're scanning them and we're reading their story. Whether we acknowledge it to ourselves or not, we're noticing a nose ring and knowing they're a little bit edgy. We're looking at their hair texture and how they style their hair. Do they love their hair? Do they feel that a kinship to their African culture? There's just so many little stories that you can read from somebody just through their clothing. So in many ways to me, clothing is almost like a script. It's a screenplay where I get to read who you are. And so I just wanted people to become more aware of this connection because I wanted people to have more authority in self-authoring themselves through fashion. So many of us are so unconscious to the messages that we're sending about ourselves through our clothing that in many ways we think that we wear because the magazines tell us or it looked good on Kim Kardashian. But in all reality, there's reasons why certain articles of clothing really resonate for us. Really, you know, when we go to the store and we say, I want that dress, it's because for some reason that dress tells the story that we want to tell at this particular moment. And so I thought by raising people's awareness around the connection between culture, fashion, and expression, they could be become more empowered shoppers. They could become more empowered people because we know that in many ways, clothing is an armor, clothing is a costume, clothing is a mood shifter. And so I just want people to be more conscientious and aware of the ways in which they have control over that process. Because in many ways, we think we see it on the runway, so of course we buy it, but we don't ever think about the decision-making skills and what that that says about us in the in-between. Does that make sense? It makes plenty of sense. Listen, and I have never heard anyone describe it like that. You know, as you were speaking, I'm thinking, yeah, that's true. Yeah. And that's why, even though I may see something on someone else and I yes. may like it. Yes. Like, oh, I should get that. It just doesn't resonate. Yes. So, it's not your story. Yes, it's not your style story. It's not my story. Oh, Michaela. It's not your I, style look, story. You yep. me up. Woman, you freed me up today. You just yes. freed me up. 
That's not my yes. story. Wow. And so to help us live into even our own stories and to recognize yes. our stories through yes. fashion and culture. So tell us how you got started in business. Uh, tell us, just tell us about your journey because you have a very unique sure. journey. I do. And it's very much my life story. You know, like I said, I was born in Jamaica. My parents are educators and Jamaican immigrants. And I've always wanted to be a fashion designer. When I was 11, I went from being like 5'5 to 5'11. I couldn't find any clothing that could like fit this gangly, weird (laughs) preteen. And I remember saying to myself, when I get older, I'm going to have a fashion line that any tall, skinny girl can wear. And so I really wanted to do that. But, you know, coming from a family that's highly educated, Grad school was a given. So when I was done with undergrad, my parents were like, that's real cute. What's next? Very immigrant mentality, right? And I and I said to them, you know, I really kind of want to go to Italy to go to fashion school. And my dad was like, I didn't bring you to this country to become a starving artist. That's not my ministry for you. So I had even applied for doctoral programs as well as fashion programs. And I got into a school in Milan. And the deal that we made was if I went to school and got my doctorate, that's how highly educated my parents are. Like even a master's, they were like, yeah, master's cute. Get a doctorate. Why not? Get a doctorate. If you get the doctorate, then we will support you in any artistic journey you want to take, because at least we know if the art doesn't work out, you can still feed yourself. So that's the arrangement that we made. And I got my doctorate and my father honored his word. When I came out of my doctorate, I worked for maybe two years in the nonprofit sector and I kept feeling that calling the fashion. I kept, I loved helping communities. I loved impacting underrepresented communities, getting them resources, but I was so uninspired. So I said to him, yeah, it's time. This is going to happen now. And he's let me do it. And he's right. I've been a starving artist for 10, over 10 years, just finally coming out of that right now, but it was worth it. It was worth it. And now I appreciate it talking about guidance. Like if I had gone straight into fashion school, I might have been, I might be a successful um, fashion designer now, but I don't know if I'd be as fulfilled as I am now. I might've had bigger pockets, but I'm so much more fulfilled exploring this intersection between anthropology, race, and fashion that my dad really did me a service by encouraging me to get that education because education was important to me, but I just couldn't think about it then. All I wanted to do is be a designer. And he noticed something in me that said, there's more to her than just a fashion designer go and do that. And he was right. Well, you know, and your education adds a depth to what you're actually doing. And it's so funny because I know that you talk about your dad and, you know, uh, being an immigrant and saying, listen, okay, you can do that. You can go get this PhD. Um, And we experience that a lot, even as African-Americans. I know in my generation, my father and mother were like, listen, you can go, you can do that, but you're going to go get this degree. (laughs) You you go, what are you going to do? But it's so it's all worked together for your good. A hundred percent. Absolutely. And there's a lesson in that. There's a lesson in that for every entrepreneur, because in any entrepreneurial journey, there are going to be valleys where you feel like, what am I doing this for? This feels like a haphazard hustle. I'm not really sure what role this plays. And I think if you can just wait long enough you can see the purpose of all of those valleys. I think it's as an entrepreneur on Instagram, we're always posting our peaks, but a lot of times it's in those valleys where the real magic occurs because the necessity to pull yourself out of that valley is where the real creativity is. And you said, you know, the academic side gave me some discipline to my creativity, but the creative side gave me a broader field of expression within academia. Like I still consider myself an artist, even though my primary job now is a professor because I approach teaching the same way I would approach making a collection. Wow. When I look at you, 
you look like an artist. You look oh, like thank you. And you look thank like an you. artist. And so I want to know who that person is because there's so many dimensions. And you can tell, even when I met you, I thought there's so many many dimensions to her. And thank even you. though I met you in the area where you were you were teaching, I knew that there was just so many dimensions. And when I went to your website and saw what you were doing, I thought, ah, there it is. Yeah, it is. Thank you. You know, well, one of the things I love, Michaela, is when you talked about the valleys. Because we do yeah. always look at the peaks and we kind of give people a skewed idea yes. of what the journey is like when yes. we just show the peaks. Yes. So talk to us about how the peaks, you know, you already said the peaks, I mean, the peaks in the valley is where you really get enriched. You find out who you are. Yes. Yes. You start becoming in the valleys. You find out yes. what you're made of in the valleys. Yes that you won't necessarily experience on the peak. So tell us about the peaks and valleys that you've experienced and how you've evolved as a person and as an entrepreneur. Yeah, I think one of the things that I'm realizing now, now that I'm hitting my stride and kind of hitting my peaks more consistently is that being an entre- a successful entrepreneur is not only about having a great vision and working hard, but it's also about timing. It's really about timing. And One of the things I always talk about is I've been doing this work for over 10 years. For a lot of people caring about race and fashion, that wasn't a big deal. Like the fashion industry didn't care. Consumers didn't care. So for a long time, I was speaking into the void. And at that time, I didn't really appreciate the importance of timing until now when I'm kind of hitting, getting close to my apex and realizing the world is ready to have a conversation for me with me. But I'm not regretful of those 10 plus years because I was crafting my dialogue. I was crafting my conversation, right? If 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 the world was ready for the work that I was doing 10 years ago, I would have been a baby in that space and I wouldn't have had 10 years of critical time and thought and effort and work to really understand these things and to be able to share them in a way that's palatable and well received. So I think it's really important as an entrepreneur to pay attention to timing, is the world ready for what you want to give? And even if they're not, not seeing that as a detriment, but time for the work. Like it's okay that they're not ready for you because it's time for the work. And the thing is when they are ready for you, you'll be ready. So when they're both ready, that's where the magic is. You are spitting out gold today. You really are <laughs> because people sometimes resent that time, yeah. Michaela. And that yeah. time really is preparation time, even though we may not recognize it at the time. Yes. You know, we're looking around saying, okay, when is this going to happen? You know, I'm ready to go do this. Yeah. I remember one of my friends said, one of my mentors said a while ago, he said someone came up to him and he was, I guess at that time he was 50. And he said, oh, I wish I had heard you. I wish I had heard you 20 years ago. And the mentor said, no, you don't. Because 20 years yeah. ago, I wouldn't have been able to tell you what I told you today. Yes. Yes, I would have been able yes. to tell you. He said. He said I was not mature in what I what I was doing. Yes. Uh, so it took me this time to prepare, and it took this time for you to be here in this place to yes. hear and receive what I had to say. So Absolutely. I think it's so important. So I also now, think we have to be. Oh, can I just say one ahead. thing real quickly? Yeah. I'm sorry. Um, one of the things I think you also have to trust that the universe is set up for your greatest success. And so they can see the big picture. One of the things I realize is like the valleys are kind of the parts of the movies that get edited out. Right. Like when you watch the movie, like it's that five seconds and then the whole rest of the hours is, is the is the peak. It's like the actress, the protagonist is doing great. I've been living for the last 10 years, that part that gets edited out of the movies. 
but there's a purpose for it. And there's a bigger picture, like there's a full screenplay. And if you get stuck on the page and you lose the, the side of the book, you can get really disheartened and overwhelmed, but you always have to remind yourself as an entrepreneur that this is a page in my book, but there's chapters to this, there's levels to this. And I always think about the example of Stacey Abrams, like when she lost the governorship, that was devastating for so many people, in particular Black women. And when you think about the fact that if she had been a governor, would she have been able to change the outcome of the election as it was? Would she be nominated now for a Nobel Peace Prize? In many ways, that perceived failure, that perceived page meant nothing to the grand scheme of the book of her life. And so I I use her inspiration so much now when I think like, oh my gosh, I really wanted that thing and it didn't happen for me, entrepreneurial or personal. I really believe if you wait long enough, you can see the purpose of that. And I say failure with bunny ears, wait for the full evolution because that's just the page. But when you see the book, you might be like, oh my gosh, that page was so insignificant without appreciating that in that moment, that page was your life. That was your everything. But when you get to the next chapter, you're like, forget that page. We're on to bigger (laughs) and better stuff in this book. We don't even care. Look, I'm glad that page didn't happen more because I- I, Yeah, exactly. You know- Exactly. And and, I love listening to you because you have poetry in you. Oh, thank you. You speak with poetry in you. You you, you can hear it. You can hear the creative in you. And I think that that's such a great example of what you said, even in reference to Stacey, the disappointments of our life. Yes. What seemed like disappointments at the time, they do work together for our good. And I think about people like, you know, I've heard Oprah Winfrey say, T.D. Jake say, you know, yeah, I know you think I'm an overnight success, but my overnight success took 20 years. Yes. You're, you're seeing me and you're recognizing me in this moment yes. in time. Yeah. And you're like, where did he come from? Or where did she come from? But I've been here. It's just yes. been two years. Yes. So and I can say one thing that, that I've learned from observing peaks and valleys is that you'll know when your time is hot because things will come quickly and you'll catch up quickly. I mean, think about it. I'm 42. I graduated my doctorate when I was 29. Most of my friends, when they graduated 29, they went straight into professorships. They went straight into buying homes. They went straight into starting families. I went a completely different route. I went being an entrepreneur, which was a very solo experience for me. I was a starving artist. I was broke at the time. I wasn't teaching because for me, I wanted to be out in the field before I crafted the minds of future professionals. I didn't want to be someone who'd only lived in the ivory tower and had no practical experience to give my students. So I purposely sat it out when I came out. But when things started to happen for me, I caught up, right? Like now I'm on the same level with my friends. And I wish I had known that because there were times when I was 33, 35, 37, I felt so behind my peers because I had sacrificed so much for my business. I wish I could have had, I wish I could say to my younger self, it will catch up. Like, even though you feel behind, if you stay the course, if you stay persistent to your vision, to the authenticness of your ideas, you will catch up and you will hopefully even supersede because you because you spent that time cultivating. So wow. rather than watching everybody else's movements around you, you're running your own pace and you will catch up to the things that you feel like you miss because you sacrifice for your business. Look, I'm going to send this to every 20 and 30. <laughs> right? I am so serious right? because that's exactly right. how we feel. And I think we also especially feel that a lot of times as women. You know, yes. we have so many yes. other things in our lives. The biological and, clock. Yes. Yep, it's going on your head. Exactly. Yep, 100%. And you're like, okay, my life, what's happening with my life? It's just not going, yes. going to. But it's that, you know, Whitney Houston had this song years ago, One Moment in Time. Yes. Sometimes yes. it's that one moment. And you said, I have been pre- preparing yes. for the last 10 years for this moment. And yep. I didn't know. And the reason I can 
stand in this moment so powerfully. I can stand in this moment so proudly and really receive and experience the moment is because of those last 10 years. Yes. Yeah. But when you're going through the 10 years, <laughs> it doesn't feel like that. Well, it feels like you don't, you don't know that it's going to work out. You don't know what you don't know. So you're really just doing it in a void. Not you hope you'll be successful, but there's really no guarantee. So it's really scary. It's really, really scary. So I love that, you know, just transparency that you have. What would you tell entrepreneurs in those moments though, when they, they're scared, they don't know whether it's going to happen. What would sure. you tell them? And I think this is where diversity and inclusion really comes in because diversity and inclusion is about owning your stories and owning who you are and not suppressing, ignoring the parts of you that make you uniquely you. I think Mm. where the perseverance comes at when you're in spaces of valleys is knowing that what you're doing is authentically you. So because who I am as a person, even the way that I speak, how loud I speak, how I dress, what I like to do, all that stuff is funneled into my business. And because it was so intrinsically me, to divorce the business would be to divorce myself. And that's what kept me on the course. I really couldn't figure out if I left this entrepreneurial journey, what job I could have that would be as authentically 100% me. So it was more of, I couldn't find anything else out, out there better. So I stuck with that. And the thing, reason why nothing could be better is because what I crafted, this customizable career that I created for myself was made just for me. And I know that no employer was ever going to take into account my personal histories, my personality, my interests, my passions in the same way that I would. And so that's what kept me honest. I just knew there was nothing better out there for me that where I was sucked, but it had a potential to be better. And I couldn't think of anything else better. So I think the real key to that is finding a sole purpose, a sole passion of crafting a business that is so intrinsically you that nobody else in the world can do it like you, but also no one else can give you what it gives you, right? Because it's so yours. Oh my goodness. And that, my friends, is a unique selling proposition. You know, in business, we talk all the time about what's a unique selling proposition. And people are trying to figure it out and come up with all nice words. But when I hear you say that, Michaela, you have lived it. You have allowed yourself to evolve into it. And so you were able to speak very eloquently about your unique selling proposition. I looked at your, you know, your websites and what you're doing. And I thought, oh, this niche is just, yeah, I could feel it. It was like this. It was like, I felt like this was your pocket of the world. Yeah. This was your contribution to the world. And I could feel within, and yeah, yes, ladies, this was looking at her website. <laughs> I could feel within that, that it was authentically you. Yeah. It wasn't trying to be somebody else. It was authentically you. So tell us about, did you always on the journey think, I'm just going to be here? Did you go straight through the journey or did you have little detours? In your journey. Yeah, yeah, I think one of the things there was definitely, I was never fully derailed, but there were pockets. I can think of a period of three years kind of in between my fashion line and starting my tour company where I took a nine to five because I had been so tired of being broke and hungry. I just wanted to know what I was making every month. And it was a job where I was uninspired. I was underused, undervalued. I had a very problematic boss who was in many ways in the DNI context, like she should have been fired for half the things that she did. And, you know, that's the one thing that I advise to younger entrepreneurs. 
never be real with yourself. Never take on a job that you know you don't want. From the minute I went into that interview, I knew I didn't want that job. I knew I wanted a regular paycheck. I knew I wanted to know what was going to be on my bank account on a Friday, but I knew I didn't want that job. And so there was a real conflict. I wasn't being true to myself in that moment when I took that job. And I wasted three years and it took me a while to leave it because I didn't trust myself to be able to take care of myself if I didn't have a nine to five. And so I think when I process that experience, the one thing that I wish I had learned sooner is you will figure it out. Like if you've never been homeless yet, if you've never, you know, of course there's been days that I probably didn't eat as much as I wanted to eat, but like I was never really starving. You have to trust that if you step out on faith, you you have what it takes to figure it. Everything is figure outable. Oh, and yeah. I wish I had known that for because because uh, definitely for those like three years, I just I couldn't pull the trigger and quit and go back into full entrepreneurship because I was so afraid. I kept thinking like I live in New York City. It's the most expensive city in the country, in the world. How am I going to pay that rent? And I wish and, you know, as soon as I left, because I eventually quit, I figured it out. I figured out it doesn't mean that there weren't lean times, but I never once missed rent. I never once went days without eating food. And so I thought, oh, God, you wasted all those three years because you were worried about this outcome. But it was never reality because who you are as a person is someone who gets it done when it needs to get done. You knew that about yourself. And so, yeah, I think whenever you take an opportunity, you have to really have a come to Jesus moment with yourself. And is this authentically what I want and who I am? And if the answer is no, I don't care how good or bad it looks. Don't do it. Because that's where you get distracted. This is a masterclass. I am so serious. I think about my daughter because she's a writer. And so I'm thinking about her as I'm listening to you. And this is a masterclass for entrepreneurs. Because we are going to experience all of these things. And I think one of the things, Michaela, is that the problem is we don't talk about it. Yes. We don't talk about it. And so when you don't talk about it, you think that you're the only one out there. Yes. You think I'm the only outlier. There's no one else like me. And while you're very unique and you have your own unique selling proposition, the peaks and valleys are there. And you may be going through your peak at one time and I may be going through the valley. Yes. That's why I think community is important. A hundred percent. How important has the community been in your journey? You know, it's funny that you said we don't talk about this enough because that's so critical and key. And that's one of the things I love about DNI because it's all about unfiltered, courageous conversations, being honest. And I think as a, as a Black woman in particular, because I didn't talk about things that were happening with other people with my community, there were ways that I was feeling that I really internalized as evidence of my lack of aptitude, right? What I really loved about the conversation that we've been having over the last year is, you know, there is systemic racism. There's a system of white supremacy set up for Black people, Black entrepreneurs not to succeed, even looking at the wealth gap, right? And there were so many ways as an entrepreneur that I didn't know what I was doing. I wasn't doing it well. I wasn't making it, making money. And to your point, I wasn't talking about it to my community because I was ashamed and because I had internalized those feelings as being exclusively my fault. And I think in having community and talking to other people, you know, we're always going to be our toughest critic and talking to community. They're the ones who are going to say like, no, you got this. Don't you remember that you did this? Oh, I I can see this. I I love what you're doing. I'm sure there's other people. You need that reinforcement because it's really easy when you're depressed and isolated to internalize and think that the fault is solely on your your own. It has has nothing to do with the circumstances or society that you're brought into. And so I love DNI because I can see with my students, we start sharing our stories of these microaggressions or these ceilings that we've hit. And then you realize, oh, that's not about me. 
That would have happened to anybody who looked like me. And to remove that level of shame and guilt from the scenario in community with other people who say like, I see you, I get it, me too. You're able to put down those things about yourself that you have been holding on as like, this is the reason why I haven't made it. No, there's other people around you who see your worth and your value when you don't see it within yourself. And that's why community is so important. Wow, that is so awesome. And you had a keynote. I just love the title of it. Let's keep kicking glass. Yes, yes. And you all get it, ladies? Glass, glass ceiling, kicking glass. (laughs) I love it. I love it. I love it. And that is so wonderful. But I also noticed that recently you had an article that was published. Yes. You were talking about how it was a magazine or publication that you once read. And now I'm looking at it and reading my article in it. Tell us about it. And the crazy thing about it, Barbara, is Women's Wear Daily, which, you know, I call them the Wall Street of the fashion industry. We also have Business of Fashion, which is kind of like our New York Times. And the funny thing about um, Women's Wear Daily is it's a subscription magazine. And so I remember back in the day when I was a starving artist and new into fashion, I'd have to go to the public library to read their articles because I couldn't justify the expense of whatever the subscription was. Maybe it was $10 a month. But at that time, I was like just making it. So I couldn't even justify (laughs) it. So like I would just be sitting in the public library like once every month, just kind of catching up on articles and reading it. And so to have the full circle moment where I'm now featured in it again, I just want to circle back that the universe will tell you when you're on the right track and where you're exactly going to be, because these type of opportunities will come to you easily. I think we think a lot of times that in business, you have to work really hard and fight for everything. But what I have learned is there's work. There's a course work that needs to be done. But when you're in the right place at the right time for the right purpose, things will flow to you so easily. Like that just article fell into my lap and I realized, oh, I was ready for this. But if you had asked me five years ago, how do you get an article in WWD? I would think like, oh, I need to have a publicist. I need to have a PR person. And that just dropped in my lap because I was in the right place at the right time. You were in and the right really place at the right time. And you were ready. And I was ready. You were ready. And you were ready because of the peaks and the valleys and the evolution yes. of becoming you and your business. So tell us about, I just love, love, love what you're doing. Tell us about the actual business of what you do. Sure, sure. And I just want to make another little point about that is that knowing that the valleys are in service to your highest good, especially as a Black woman, as a minority entrepreneur, there's a lot of work that I do now around diversity and inclusion that because I had so many valleys and I was in deep depths of despair and depression at times, or I was marginalized so much in a lot of my roles, that in the hindsight that those three years that I did that job, it served a purpose because it created in me empathy that I now use in my business that makes my business super, super unique. So it's again, it's circling back to this idea of really trusting that the valleys serve a purpose. And especially for Black women, a lot of the work that we do is built in a space of sympathy, empathy, and compassion. And so even when we're in valleys, we're building that muscle that we'll use later when we're at a peak and we can say, girl, I'm in a pink and you're in a valley, but I know what that feels like. I know what that's all about. You know what I'm saying? Yes. It really served a purpose. I think as Black women, that's one of our unique value propositions is that like we've been through it. We've seen some things. And so not only do we have critical answers, but we feel the need to find the answers in such a personal way because we know the pain caused by these questions, right? And that's what's so important. 
So my company, Sidewalk Safaris, again, a tour company that came out of how do I put anthropology and fashion together. And I really just wanted to be the fashion Anthony Bourdain. Like I watched his shows and the same way that he would tell people, you know, what people eat, why they eat it, where you should eat when you travel. I just wanted to do that for fashion. And I, I realized like no one's given out shows. Like I'm not Anthony Bourdain. Like people aren't waiting at Discovery to just give me a show. So I thought, you know, I'll just take people around one at a time. Like if I can't take a viewership of thousands, I can take one person at a time. And so basically my cultural shopping tours are like food tours, but for fashion. I only work with minority owned boutiques. Again, that's informed by my entrepreneurial journey. When I had my own fashion line, it was so hard for me as a limited resource Black woman to get people outside of my inner circle to know about my designs. I just didn't have the marketing budget, right? And like, I can't eat only off of what my friends and family are willing to pay me to buy my stuff. So right, it was really right. hungry. You know what I'm saying? So I was like, oh, thanks for buying that top. But like, that doesn't really cover rent this month. That's so right. let me figure out something else. For me, it was this need to like expose people to amazing minority artists who just usually don't get the shine. So I thought if I could just take one person at a time and then give them the history and the culture and the context and get them to think more critically about their own fashion, everybody wins. The boutique owner wins, the consumer wins because they get some dope products. They get to think about fashion in a critical way. And I make money as an entrepreneur. And so I started that company about four years ago. Um, last year was derailed because of the pandemic. But as soon as this pandemic is over, I'm back at it with it. Because there is a, you know, what I kind of love is when I started this company three years ago, I started, I launched it in Harlem with Harlem Boutiques. No one would come on my tours because in their mind, when they thought about fashion, they didn't think about Black people. They didn't think about Black communities. They thought about Soho. They thought about downtown. They thought about the Upper East Side. So I would advertise like, hey, guys, come and take this fashion tour in Harlem. And people would say, fashion tour, Harlem. Harlem. Those two don't don't go together. Like Harlem ain't got no fashion. <laughs> I would have like little Asian girls come on my tour from like China, Japan. And they would come on my tour and they would say, my mom told me this morning not to come here because I was going to get shot. And I was like, sweetie, look around. Does anybody have a gun? We're good. Let's go. So like, you know what I'm saying? Like, but it was really hard. Like now I'm sure when this is over, like my tours are going to do great. But for the first two years, I was like giving tours to like one person, two people, because I just felt so passionately about getting exposure for these amazing fashion artisans, but also giving them a place in history, in fashion history, right? Like we passed Dapper Dan's Atelier on my tour. He comes out, he says, hello, he talks to my people. Most people had never heard of Dapper Dan, you know what I'm saying? And he's a critical part of not only um, Harlem, but fashion history, like Gucci got in trouble for co-opting him. Like he has a voice that needs to be heard. And so on my tour is just kind of a way for me to like share that with people. And that was really important to me. That is awesome. I, and I remember, Michaela, when even Harlem itself came into this era yes. where it was popular to be in Harlem. Yes. You know, when Bill yes. Clinton had a place in Yes. Harlem. Okay. It was the beginning. The it beginning was, of the end. It was yes. the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> People ask, like, when did Judge Fight start? I was like, talk to Bill Clinton. Yes, yes, right? was, and then Whole Foods was the final coup de grace. But yes, it was Bill Clinton and then Whole Foods. And then Harlem Bill Clinton, was Whole Foods. Yes, yes. Oh, yes. Harlem, you are legitimate now. But exactly. I, yeah, I love exactly. But, but I love the fact that we need to tell our stories. Yes. And we need yes. to get those stories told because I think there's so much that comes out of our communities that it's co-opted. Yes. And people don't realize, even young people don't realize, oh, hey, that came from our community. 
Yes. It may not yes. have been recognized there. You may not have known about it. The people in the community know about it. But now that it's this big thing, hey, it came yes. to the communities. So I think it's so important for us to tell those stories and to make sure that we. it helps us to connect to who yes. we are. Yes. And I love it, Michaela, when you were talking about the fact that we take things, things become intrinsic to us and we think yes. there's something wrong with us. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I really battled that. It's been a very insecure journey. I, you know, it's funny because people see me as being, if I'm like, I'm all about the true tea, but the true tea is like, I know I show up in the world really confident and really self-assured, but that doesn't negate the many years I spent behind closed doors being really uncertain about what I was doing because that's an entrepreneurial journey, right? There's no audience. There's no applause gallery. There's no, you're just kind of day by day, putting one foot in front of the other. And there's no guarantee that it's the right path for you. Right. You know, it's like, um, I think about that quote by uh, Martin Luther King, when he talks about faith, be taking one step without seeing the whole staircase. Yes. And you're taking that step and you're kind of in the dark. And so you're like, okay, if I take the next step, is there going to be a step there? You know? Yes. And you're not, and you're never really sure, Michaela, how steep the staircase is. Yeah. But your faith is the thing that keeps you going. You know, you mentioned something very important. And I think that's timing. Yeah. There's a time for everything. And I think when the timing is right and you've done the work and the preparation and, you know, you've identified and evolved into that unique selling proposition that when those things collide, it's a beautiful beautiful amazing yes it is and and, you know you've come full journey yeah I really have I I feel it and I feel so blessed because I know that what I know what a gift this is I know that there's so many people who work jobs that they are uninspired by that they hate that they don't really see a purpose to and like no matter how much work I have to do because I work longer hours than most I have more on my plate than most I really love what I do I really love it. I really love it. I love the community I built through the work. I love the impact. I love knowing that I'm opening people's minds to, you know, esteem and validate minority communities and cultures in ways that they didn't normally do. Like, I I just, I can't tell you, it's like the greatest gift of my life. My company or being an entrepreneur has been the greatest gift of my life. I cannot tell a lie. Wow. Now, when you are able to say that, then you know that you are an entrepreneur. You know and I'm not even happen. rich yet. And yeah, I kind of, I'm kind of. I love grateful. the world yet, Michaela. Yes, yes, yeah. I'm not rich yet. I'm getting there. But I kind of feel like that's what I love about it is that I've had this awareness before the money because I never, or the clout. Like I'm grateful that I had this awareness, so I can never say it was because of the money and the clout. I love it because of the work and what it, and what it does not only for the people that I come in contact to, but what it does for me. Yeah, that, I really that, do love it. When you know that then you can handle the money in the cloud. Yes. I think, Michaela, if you don't know that, get the money in the cloud first. Yes. I think that's why you say so many people self-destruct. Yeah. But when you've had that experience and you know it, it kind of centers you. Yeah. It allows you to remember your values and what you value, who you are. And it allows you to walk more powerfully in the space of power and money. Yeah. And it's also, it keeps you honest. Like, I'm not beholden to anybody because this business is me. So I I can get input from a ton of people, but I could care less. I'm the final decider. I want to hear your input. I'm open to other opinions. You're expanding my mind and I welcome it. 
But at the end of the day, the buck stops with me. So I will never do anything for money. And that's another good thing about being a starving artist for so long. I know how to get by with a little. So I'm never going to take something just because it's really shiny and glittery. Like, I'm good. I know how to get by with a little. And so anything that I take on now, I do it very intentionally, very consciously from a space of optimal awareness. Like, does this resonate? I'm really protective of my brand because it is me. And like, I don't want anyone to ever say, and you know, it's a daily choice. Like five years from now, I'm going to have to continue to make this choice. Why am I doing this? What purpose does it serve? How is it alignment with my greater good? These are all the things I have to ask myself where if I had been doing it for the money and the clout, all I would have cared about is the number in my bank account. But for me, it's so much bigger than the vision. And I feel like as Black women in particular, as minorities, like we have called, we are called to a higher calling. Like I remember watching Sex in the City and thinking, these girls don't have parents. They don't have cousins. They don't have friends. They don't got to volunteer, you know, at some, like I, I never wanted to be Carrie Bradshaw because I knew that Carrie Bradshaw was only beholden to Carrie Bradshaw. Michaela Brown is beholden to every Caribbean, every Jamaican, every Black woman. Like, there's a lot on my back. A lot of people sowed a lot of seeds for me to get ahead. I got to pay that forward, right? Like, to whom much is given, much is expected. I could never be a Carrie Bradshaw. It couldn't be only about the shoes for me. It is about the shoes, but it's also about my community, right? Oh, my gosh. When you hear Maya Angelou and her saying, I come as one, but I stand as 10,000. Yes. It's it yes. just that nails it for me. So you yeah. see me standing here as one person, but I'm representing all of these other people. I'm representing yes. my community. I'm carrying them. And yes. I, I'm here because I know that someone's coming behind me. I'm on someone else's shoulders or I'm the yes. shoulders that someone else is coming, you know? Yes. And so it is the wonderful thing. And you know what? It really makes your life rich. It does. So that you can then appreciate what money can do. Yeah. But the richness of your life is already there. Agreed. Not, the richness of my life is not coming when the money comes and when the statue comes and people recognize my name, but the richness of my life was made in these peaks and in these valleys. Yes. Ladies, yes. I want you right now to get your notes. I mean, she has spit out some gold today, but I want you to get your notebooks and I want you to refresh your tea and your coffee and your latte because I want to... Now ask Michaela, Michaela, if you were to give us four or five points that you say, I want every entrepreneur to remember this and to strive to walk this out, what would they be? Great. So the first one would be definitely persistence. Like you cannot be a successful entrepreneur if you're not in for the long haul. Entrepreneurship is not about immediate gains. It's really about playing the long game. And if you don't have the minerals for that, I respect that. Go get a nine to five, boo. If you ain't in it for the long haul, go get a nine to five, live your best life with your 401k. I respect it. It's not my hustle, but I understand it, right? But perseverance is number one. The second thing is doing the work of really knowing who you are and what the unique value that you bring to the world. What is your sole purpose? Really do that deep dive. And even acknowledging the parts of you that maybe you don't like so much, know that it also has a purpose. I'm incredibly loud and I'm a know-it-all, 
that makes me a super annoying friend, but it makes me a great professor and tour guide, right? So there was a part of my entrepreneurial process where I had to acknowledge the parts of myself that I didn't like and then flip it and say, how can that still be an asset to me in this business? Because there's a reason why I believe, if you believe in God, I believe there's a reason why God made you exactly who you are. Even, Even the stuff that you deem as bad, there was a purpose. He added that to your recipe. So figure that out. The third thing I would say is, authenticity, like that's the beauty to me of entrepreneurship versus a nine to five. When you have a nine to five, and I know diversity and inclusion is working to change that, but you're really beholden to somebody else's vision. I think being an entrepreneur is that you're beholden only to your own. And so you want to be as authentic with, but with that as possible, because again, it's that authenticity that's going to keep you going when the, when it, when the going gets really, really tough. Um, the fourth thing I would say is community. And there's so many different levels of community. I mean, you know, my community is other entrepreneurs, other Black women entrepreneurs, but my community is also my boutique owners. My community is also my customers. That's one thing I teach in my business classes. Never think about your customers as customers. That's transactional. No one's trying to work with you if they feel like all you want from them is their money. So you, it's really about building community with them, seeing them as like-minded individuals who have similar shared values and tapping into that value system. And not from a manipulative, sneaky way or strategic way, but from authentically Like, I don't know, I get fed as much from every ticket sold as every person who says to me on a tour. This was so much fun. I'm so excited about this. I feel really, really turned on and excited about fashion in ways that I've never done before. That feeds me as much as that ticket sale. So I think it's really important to be authentic and clear and honest with your community and your community. You can't lie to your community, right? Because <laughs> all those things are related, right? And especially in the Black community, like in Black Twitter is any indication, like Black people will read you for filth if they feel like you're inauthentic. And I respect that. I re- Cancel me. If I'm being inauthentic- cancel me. I don't deserve the privilege Call of you out. to you and have you listen. Listen, hold me accountable. And Black Twitter has gathered other people, but gathered me. Like there have been times I'm on Twitter, like, you know what, Black Twitter, you're right about this. I was wrong about this. <laughs> so I think, I think authenticity is really important because um, you can't have fake membership. Fake membership can't ex- exist in a community and you will be discovered. And who wants to live in the fear of being discovered? You might as well just be yourself and let the chips fall where they fall. Wow. Wow. Ladies, this was so, so good. Listen, we have got to find out how we can contact McKenna, how we can follow her, how we can get involved in what she's doing, because it, I'm telling you, is absolutely powerful. So Michaela, tell us how we can contact you and how we can get involved in what you're doing. Great. So for my tours, and the name of my tour company is called Sidewalk Safaris. So you can find us at www.sidewalksafaris.com. And you can also find us on Instagram at Sidewalk Safaris. And I'm doing a lot of work now around diversity and inclusion, specifically for fashion professionals. Um, because as a creative industry, there's some things that make us really great at being inclusive, but there's a lot of things that make us really bad at it. So I've really been taking the things that I've been teaching for Cornell and really customizing them for creatives and the creative industries. And so that you can find under Style Equity Academy. Um, the website is under construction, but you can follow us on Instagram. And I'm hoping in the next few months while I wait for my tours to start back up to be, re- be releasing some diversity and inclusion tips and strategies just for the everyday person who wants to just invite more equity and belonging into their life. Because that's important regardless of whether you're in the fashion industry or not. Well, ladies, I don't have to say it. She is just absolutely awesome. Remember this name, Dr. Michaela Brown. Now, listen, you heard it here first. Thank you, Barbara. She is called to the world 
and the world hasn't been ready, but the world is ready for her now. And so this is her time. This is her space. You have heard from this high capacity woman today. I'll make sure that all of her information is in the show notes. Make sure you reach out. I'm sitting here thinking about some people who, young people who are in fashion and who would just absolutely thrive in the community that you're in. Dr. Michaela Brown, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Barbara. Thank you for being a high capacity woman. All right, everyone, make sure that you connect. Don't let me have this powerful woman come here and you absolutely not connect. I can guarantee you this, that your life will be the better for it. Thank you so much for joining me. She leads, she's powerful. She's strong, unforgettable. She knows what she's about and she's building from the inside out. And she's a high capacity.